recording? Okay, let's go ahead. <clears throat> we just came off a sermon series on the authority uh, of the word and the authority that operates in your life. And it really is about having a grasp, an understanding of what is the truth that's going to see you through the world. What is the truth that's going to carry you? What is going to be the moral compass of your life? And so for, for so many of us, that, that actually changes over time. Our truth moves. It's somewhat dynamic. And I think the church uh, has also found itself very often in just such a place. Um, I need to find my way here. <clears throat> I, I don't have a title uh, for this sermon series, and, uh, but I'm going to tell you, it really comes off the heels of the message I gave just before New Year's, when I felt like God said, I, I'm really not so interested in you looking back at your 2015. I'm interested in you looking back in my 2015. I'm interested in you looking at what I have been doing, what I have been doing in your life and the lives of those around you. I'm not interested in you looking at what the church has been doing or the world has been doing, what I have been doing. And as I looked back across the sermons of 2015, what I saw is uh, what a series we call God's Witness Protection Program, when he was saying, it's time for you to leave everything that's familiar. It's time for you to step out of the old and step into the new place with me. I can protect you. I will protect you. I can be your covering, but you will have to leave what has protected you in the past. You will have to leave those things that are familiar and that feels safe to you because they are no longer safe for you. Where you have been is no longer going to be safe for you. We had the series on what is the moral compass, what is the authority in your life, and the reason is where you're going, you're going to need the best of all compasses. You're going to need something that's going to hold you true because what worked in the past is not going to work for you. We had a series on the vision and the mission of your life, the purpose of your life. Why are you here? That will be important in 2016. We had a message on habits. It's really an understanding of our instincts. How, where do you live? How are the decisionings happening every day, every week, every moment for you? Because your instincts will now matter. How you quickly jump to a conclusion. Do you judge someone? Do you love someone? Are you angry? Are you forgiving? Are you merciful? Are you obedient? All those are going to be incredibly important to you now. Because where God is going, that instinct will be the difference between you being on the roadside or being on the road. Melinda and I, uh, because I am, uh, you know, I don't know, 30 years behind or whatever, uh, we started looking at Star Wars um, 
I'm trying to get up to speed so I can go see seven. And here's, here's my reflection. I tell you, uh, I, you know, I, I'm not, I find the movies fine. Um, you know, they're not wowing me, but they're, but they're fun. Uh, seeing a movie with my wife is always fun. I'll tell you what disturbs me. What disturbs me is those who are gifted and talented, like Luke or Darth Vader. They don't finish very well. And always what trips them is injustice. It's something that just wasn't right. My mother died. I am never going to allow that to happen again. Do you realize how much power I need to control life and death? I need to be God. That's all I have to do. I have to become God. Their undoing was always an injustice, always a valid injustice. The world today is tripping over injustice everywhere, especially the church. God is a God of justice. But you will not make this world just. So to just seek out justice, you will have to become a God. You will have to judge those who are not just. Then you will have to discipline them. You will have to become the judge. You will have to become the executioner. And that has now made you God. I thought about it. I thought about the Shire. It's kind of the land of milk and honey. I'm going to do the, the, uh, the ultimate terrible today. I'm going to mix um, three movie series. Uh, so, you know, I'll probably go to preacher prison for that or something. I don't know. But, uh, <clears throat> but the Shire was that wonderful place. It's a place that everybody wants to be. You eat, you have second breakfast, and you don't get fat. You play with fireworks, there's festivals. You live in holes in the ground, you play all the time. There's no pollution, there's no factory, there's no time clock. Why would you want to leave there? That's because God calls you forward. And here's the other side of that. If you'll remember in Lord of the Rings, if you saw it, they didn't really have a choice. Darkness was going to find the Shire. You don't have a choice. The church doesn't have a choice to create its bubble of whiteness. It's bubble of whatever you want to call it that makes it different. It won't have that choice. Darkness is coming to the church, and it's already here. So it's no longer the Shire as we know it. It doesn't show up as well in that light, but it's dark, it's gloomy.
We have so much light in here, we can't see the darkness. That sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? <clears throat> so today I want to talk about the church. It's going to be a little bit of confession. I think 2016 is going to be a challenge. I think it'll be a challenge for the world. And I think uh, the church has made a life of living in the middle, a comfortable life of it. Many of us have. And I believe that world, as you know it, will not be here much longer. The church has a history of making a life with the world. I remember in Belize, uh, the Catholic Church there, uh, as I hear the story in history, the Catholic Church could not really make inroads into the landscape of religion in Belize. And so what they did is they began to be a friendly player with the local religions. When I was there years ago, there was a dugu, and a dugu is a, uh, a long, extended funeral. Uh, it goes on several weeks, and a shaman, witch doctors come in, and it looks like this, and it still does today, and they will build a thatch hut specifically for this ceremony. And then what they do is they invite the dead to come back to life and embody the witch doctors. Now, if you read about it in Wikipedia, it's a bit sanitized. It is so that they can make amends for droughts and bad things that happen to these people who are now dead. But the truth is, what they're really doing is making amends for things they did to that person so that person won't come back and get them. So if you stole someone's wife or money or you killed them or you took the family inheritance and you live with that fear, what you can do is you can go to the Dagu and you can have for money, you can have the witch doctors call your uncle or whoever it was back into life. And what happens is demons come and they embody the witch doctors. And then what happens is they try to buy off their uncle. They offer them alcohol and food and money and prostitutes, whatever they can do. The Catholic priest comes and blesses the Dugu. This looks like it was a thousand years ago. The one I was there for was about 10 years ago. They still operate the same way. The Catholic Church is full in Belize. There's a movie that came out, um, I think it was around 1980 or so, I don't remember. Uh, it was about voodoo in Haiti. It was called The Serpent and the Rainbow. 
it's a dark movie. It's a, it's a regular cinema-type movie. But in the movie, there is a line I find interesting because there is a Harvard professor that's going down to study this idea of voodoo and zombies that are prevalent. He said to one of the people in Haiti, but I understand that Haiti is like 89% Catholic, or in his words, Christian. She said, we are, but we are 110% voodoo. You see, we mix with the church and the world together. And we can look down on our friends, our brothers, sisters, whatever they may be in other parts of the world and say, wow, that's terrible. But we do the same thing. We mix our worlds. The West makes peace with culture. And the, and the church also makes the culture the enemy. And that's the world we live in today. So in the church, we try to find the happy medium. That's you and I. We want a good job. We want good pay. We want good benefits. We want a good retirement. I want a good home. I want good kids. I want them to go to good schools. I want to live in a good neighborhood. I want to drive a good car. I want to experience the success the world understands as success because I have the same standard the world does. I want those things. There's nothing wrong with wanting those things, and I want those things. I want to be successful. I want to be good-looking. I want to be valued. I want to be appreciated. I would even like to be envied just a little bit. Somebody to see the woman on my arm. Someone to see the car I drive. Or when I drive my 91 pickup with all the dents and the rust... And people look at it. Do I wish I had a different truck at that moment? You bet I do. You bet I do. When you drive up to a nice restaurant, you don't might take my truck to the valet. <laughs> and in that moment, I feel it. Why? Because I'm just like them. Because I also would love to mix the American dream and the dream of God. Certainly that medium exists, doesn't it? Certainly there's nothing wrong with it. Appreciating, enjoying the things of the world and yet enjoying the things of the kingdom. We desire them both. The Christian right in our country holds the flag of morality and they call the world back to godly principle. And they do it with a lot of flack. They take a beating over it. But they still continue to carry it. 
But what I also notice is they also want to build the wall around our country that if you're not an American, you're on the outside. They want to export everybody who doesn't have a birth certificate that says United States of America. And they're right. That's the law. But you will never make that biblical. You will never make it scriptural. You will only make it U.S. And so the conservative right, the Christian right, is often mixing their politics and they're mixing their faith, but they're calling them one. And the far left does the same thing. So you see, when you take away a moral compass, it just becomes politics. And all you can hope for is to be a political right side or politically correct. The church is going to have to find its compass and its soul. That Muslims are not our enemy. That Mexicans, legal or illegal in this country, are not my enemy. The Salvadorians are not my enemy. That race is something that God abhors. Race as we do it. The problem with seeing homosexuality, same-sex marriage, immigration, gun laws, racism, the problem with having hard rules on all these things, the problem with the church taking all these positions is that we are trying to use rules to make everybody good. Haven't we learned from the Old Testament that doesn't work? Haven't we learned that, that patriotism, and I'm a patriot, although patriotism is a valuable instrument of life and identity, it is not my core identity. Haven't we learned that the problem is here? It's not even my behavior, it's my heart. If God has taught us anything, have not we learned that? So what happens when we use legalism? It doesn't even have to be a law. The new phrase now is, slut-shaming or fat-shaming, these ways that we use shame to judge people. But that's mostly what social media does. You see, that's the new way. I can go on and I can have 100,000 people who agree with me that we could sit, should send these people back. We can, over and over in blogs, we can ridicule what are we doing? We're using guilt and shame to try to manipulate people to operate a certain way. Isn't that legalism? 
I know this sermon might sound like a little bit of a downer. Like, wow, Bill, can we go to lunch now? Not yet. So where we're going, if God has shared those things in 2015 for us to be ready, then the question becomes ready for what? If we're leaving the Shire, if the Shire is gone, maybe being ready becomes a serious thing. I feel like the Lord is taking us to Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. These are the seven churches. Go ahead. Uh, this is a really terrible image. But I wanted to give you, I'll give you another one that's better. But I wanted you to see the red numbers that are right up here represent where these churches were located. These were actual churches. They're in the book of Revelation We'll talk more about those. There's the name of the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Palmos. They're all in what an area that was called Asia Minor uh, right here. I wanted you to see this map because you can see Greece. You can see Turkey. Uh, they were a part of Turkey in that area right there. Uh, they're on the Aegean Sea, but they're... Some of those cities are still there as, as cities. So these were actual cities. I have another picture a little more close up. There they are. A part of Europe as we know it. But they are listed in the book of Revelation. And they get basically a report card on their ability to walk and journey with God. Today, we are going to look at Sardis. It's kind of in the middle there. It's in from the coast. And starting with uh, Revelation start, uh, chapter 3, starting with verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, and this is John hearing from Jesus what to tell this church about themselves. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God, the seven stars. This is talking about Jesus. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Sardis was a church that was known for being good. It was known for its justice. It was known for serving, for feeding the poor, for being gracious, for being benevolent. It was a church most of us would be, feel proud to be a part of, seeing how they're serving the community. But Jesus looked at him and said, you look good, but you're dead. 
Now remember, the book of Revelation is preparing people for the end times. It's preparing people for when it's going to get rough. And what these churches represent is like seven different conditions. This church could represent a church in our day. It could represent a community. It could represent you or me. It's just a set of conditions. You know, we can honestly look and ask God to tell us, where do I fit? If you were going to look at me, would I be Philadelphia? Would I be Sardis? Would I be Laodicea? How am I doing, Father? I had a dream last night. Really, I believe is connected with this message. A dream that um, was about me. Uh, it had a long beginning, and I want to get to a certain part because I feel like I'm supposed to share with you this dream. I was uh, going to meet up with a young man. We were going to go to lunch. He had some issues he wanted to talk about. I said, fine. There were a lot of people in this house, and um, I had on a pair of jeans and a regular shirt, and, and I walked out into the room. I saw him. He was ready to go, and he was in a suit. He was all dressed up. I thought, Wow. I'm underdressed. But we're in a small town. I don't know what town this was, but I know we were in a small town. And I thought, where are we going to go in the middle of the day in suits? But I thought, I'll, I'll play. So I went in to change. And uh, there were lots of people in this room where I was changing. It's all guys. Uh, m most of them I knew. Uh, and so I'm, I'm changing clothes and I'm I'm pulling on this pair of pants, and uh, it was like they were all heavy and weighted. And so I, I was like, what's holding these pants down? You know, so I'm reaching back here, and I've got a wallet, and i got a cell phone, and I'm, I'm pulling them out. So, oh, okay. So I, I try to pull these pants back up, and there's still something in my pants. So I reach, and I pull out a gun. A pistol. My pants. I don't know where the gun came from. And I'm trying to kind of conceal it a little bit because I don't really want to answer questions about the gun. I'm a little bit surprised that I'm not more surprised about the gun. You know, you pull a gun out of your pants and you go, oh, it's a gun. And you're like, that's it? Nothing else? Anyway, so I'm setting it down with some other clothes and I'm kind of covering it up a little bit. And, and I'm pulling uh, my pants together, and, and I, I was frustrated because it seemed like I'd been an hour trying to dress. Uh, it was just, you know, the belt wouldn't fit and 
all this stuff. And then there's a person that gets my attention. I know this person. This person is actually the pastor of the church in Bogota, Colombia, the vineyard pastor. And he looks at me and says, Bill. And he says again, Bill. And I look up in his eyes. He said, you're not ready. And I thought, I know I'm not ready. I'm just hooking my belt. And he looks at me again. He says, you're not ready. That was the end of the dream. But I believe that message was to me that I'm not ready. Maybe you're not ready. Maybe I'm not ready. The church in Sardis, God's counsel. Remember what you have received. Remember what you've heard. And then turn to it. This is, um, this is a message that is, I know it's a heavy message. I'm, I was deeply troubled this morning. But I think the Lord's word is not condemnation on anybody. I think his word is get ready. Your American dream is not going to hold up. Get ready. Now, am I trying to say that fire is going to fall from heaven and they're going to invade the border, whoever they are? I, I'm not trying to say that. I, I'm saying that God, things are going to change. And he has been investing in us to make us ready. And I believe this is a great church. I think it's a great church. And I think this church has done well to not be a bigoted right-wing church. I think this church has done well in many ways. So I love this church, not because I go here, certainly not because I'm the pastor here, but because I think God has done something amazing with people here. But my hope and my heart is that I believe the Lord is saying, get ready.
Because what worked in the past is not going to work in the future. That's what we've learned as leadership here. Home groups from the past don't work today. Things that worked then don't work today. Could I have you share that? No, I don't. Danny, I apologize. We have a speaker. So do your job. Right here, please. Uh, sure. You need to set it up a little bit, but I, I won't get through it. Aaliyah's in the ask a hundred questions stage, and um, she's been very interested in God and heaven, and this was our conversation one day this week. She said, um, will we see God in heaven? And I said, yes, we will even talk to him, and you can sit in his lap and hug him too. And she said, well, I want to die right now so I can go to heaven. And I said, but I would really miss you. And she said, well, I want my whole family to die and go too. And I said, well, God wants and needs us here so we can tell other people about him and about heaven. And she said, oh, we can be their whisper. And I said, huh? And she said, we can hear God in our mind and in our heart. And I can even hear him whisper to me to help me be good. He tells me when to do good deeds. A good deed is when we help other people. Sometimes other people do good deeds for us too. God likes good deeds. Did you know that? And I said, yes. And where did you learn that? She said, God whispers to me. Where did you learn that? And I said, reading the Bible, church, and other people who know God. And she said, God made those people, and they are your whisper. How old is she? Five. She's five. She is ready. I am not. So, um, we, we need to be people who hear the whisper of God. pursue the heart of God. To finish well, we need to be a people who can surrender the American dream for what God is doing. I don't know exactly how we go forward in 2016, but I'm looking forward to it. And I can promise you, I will be ready. So if you want to follow me, I will be ready. Whatever the Lord wants, the Lord will get.
I have an old pickup, and that makes me sound frugal and like a poor pastor and blah, blah, blah. We have two houses, an apartment, two vehicles, and a flat-screen TV. I am a rich American. I would trade all of it to be ready. All of it. If you would stand.